the whole message was is kind of empowering women that, you know, it's okay for you to have satisfaction in sex too. It's not just all about the guy. The woman should have satisfying sexual experiences as well. Welcome to Steam Scenes, the podcast about... Wait, hold on. Sure, sex is, well, sexy, but it's also sassy and it's silly and it's fun. Hi, I'm El Greco and I write steamy romance. On my podcast, Steam Scenes, I'm joined by my fellow romance authors for some explosive, (laughs) see what I did there? Conversations on writing all the naughty bits. Sit back, relax, and join us for some scintillating conversation on Steam Scenes. Today, we are welcoming Tracy Brody to the podcast. Tracy has a background in banking, retired to become a domestic engineer, I love that, (laughs) and aims to supplement her husband's retirement using her overactive imagination. She began writing spec movie and TV scripts, however, when two friends gave her the same feedback on a script, saying that they'd love to see it as a book, she switched to writing books. She's published a series of single title romances featuring the Bad Karma special ops team, whose love lives are as dangerous as their missions. She's a two-time Golden Heart Award. Heart winner in romantic suspense and six-time finalist. Holy shit. <laughs> um, Tracy and her husband live in North Carolina. She's the proud mother of a daughter and son and now a mother-in-law. Congratulations. She invokes her sense of humor while volunteering at the USO, which I think is so cool. You may spot her dancing in the grocery store aisles or talking to herself as she plots books and scenes while walking in her neighborhood, the park, or the beach on retreats with friends. Welcome to Steam Scenes, Tracy. Thank you so much for doing oh, thank this. Thank you for having me, Elle. I'm really looking forward to it. This is great. I love your I I love your bio. I love that. You, okay, well, okay, I gotta ask this. Golden Heart winner two times, six time finalist. Did that change anything for it you? It did. Um, I think the first time. I entered, I was in the bottom 50%, but I, you know, took a lot of writing courses, entered contests, got feedback. And so the year I finaled was really special because um, it's just a great group of women that I was finalist with. And you would think, you know, it's like a competition with other people because, you know, you, you want to beat them to win. And it really wasn't like that. I, I it was kind of like a big sorority, you know, a bunch of different mixes and right. people when you're connecting. And um, I did have an inquiry um, from a publisher when I went in that was interested in acquiring and long story short, that didn't work out, but it kind of helped me with getting my first agent, which um, again, that didn't work out. <laughs> um, <laughs> we won't go into all that. Um, not that much time. We only have an hour, but um, anyway, I, it just was really great. And I, I went in thinking, you know, I'm not going to win, you know, the people I was against, you know, Three of them had already been finalists. I think Sharon had been a finalist. This was like her eighth and ninth final or something. And somebody had already sold her book for to Harlequin and Hardback. So I'm like, I'm not going to win. Um, and that's okay. And so I was totally shocked when I did. I, I didn't, when they even said the first three words of the title, which is the book that we're going to talk about, the steamy scene today, my friend that's sitting with me is nudging me and she's, she's waving her hands. And I'm like, what in the world? And then I heard taking Tracy and my real last name because I was writing under my real last name at the time. And I was like, Oh my, it's me. I'm not, yeah, I just didn't expect it. So, wow. so that gave me a lot of confidence. Um, and because that book didn't sell, I entered the next book in the series and the first book, I threw it in, in the last 10 minutes um, at the deadline just to see what would wow. happen. 
and they both final. So it, you know, it was a very big confidence builder, but unfortunately the timing with the romantic suspense market at the time, a lot of people weren't inquiring. So I just kept entering as I rewrote and rewrote the book that became Deadly Aim. So, oh wow! but it was just, just, just a good really experience wild. being a golden heart and meeting these women, you know, who kind of the same place I was that, yeah, I just kept entering until, you know, they said we were not going to do the golden heart anymore. And I'm like, well, I wasn't going to enter next year, but I sure as heck will with it being the last one. And then I've decided to self-publish. So there is no more golden heart. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So you, I was, I was actually wondering that because I, I noticed that this, um, your series, the bad karma special ops, uh, series, you've got, you had like a, a like almost like a, a rapid release. There were a lot of books coming out at the same time. And I was like, how fast is this woman writing? This is amazing. No, I but don't. these, it sounded like you had them, you know, ready to yes. go. And, well, I think one okay. of the questions you, you'll have, we'll talk about it a little more later, but I wanted to do that rapid release, um, and that was one of the reasons I decided to self-pub. I, I, after parting with my first agent, um, I signed with another agent and I'm not going to name names here, but um, some of the things, you know, she told me, she said, I don't know if I can sell this because of the market. It's totally the market, um, but I'd like to try. And mm-hmm. one of the things I really was set on is doing a kind of a rapid release. I had written a, you know, the three books and was debating doing a prequel novella, which I ended up doing. But one of the publishers that we thought we had the best chance with, I have two friends who had books with them that their second book didn't come out for almost two years. And I'm like, I don't want that. People have forgotten about me. And I've got these books written. You know, the editor had only read a few pages of my one friend's book. And I'm like, what happens if she really signs me for my voice and doesn't want these books that I've already written? I want these books going out. So that's when the other agent and I parted and I set up my schedule and was hoping to do like month apart. But um, the first one came out, my editor told me six to eight weeks is probably a better time frame than every 30 days. And then COVID hit. <laughs> so didn't come out quite 30 days, but it that would have killed me anyway. I, you know, with not yeah. knowing what I was doing with self-pubbing, I maybe, I think if you have already learned the ropes, you could probably do rapid release every month and stay sane, but I'm already a little crazy. So yeah, I'm that with not a, not come well. <laughs> I um I I rapid released um my series and then just like ran out of books. Mm. So now I'm kind of going, oh oh oh, you got to write faster, and <laughs> and no, it's not going to happen. So it's so I, it's like you know I've got some rapid released, and now everyone's just going to have to wait for the next one and the next one and the next one. Yep, and that's I mean you you learn to write faster. I think once you know what you're doing, because my first book. Um, that's the first single title. I rewrote that, cut 46,000 words and rewrote and then realized, had another epiphany and aha moment after reading Lisa Crone's Story Genius and cut another like 44,000 and rewrote. So yeah, I hopefully won't have to do that in the future. And my, my next book that's not part of the series, I did write in three months and it came in at 100,000 words. So Nano helped me with that. Damn. Damn. So, okay. So you started writing these spec movie and TV scripts yep. and you were, well, let's sort of like take another step back. You were originally in banking. Did you always have this sort of idea that you wanted to write or is it something that you did on the side or for fun? No, the longest thing I'd ever written was a 10 page term paper when I was in college. And, okay, but <laughs> going back to being like three year old, um, I had an overactive imagination 
would pretend I was flying on the back of my stuffed bear and when I wasn't supposed to be napping. And I just always had this, you know, tend to, you know, to be taking some story idea and, and staring out the window instead of paying attention to my teacher or my pastor or whatever and spinning story ideas. And I thought everybody's brain worked that way, L. So I was really shocked when I found out uh, they, it doesn't, they don't. And, um, but I just would be spinning stories, but I'd never written anything until I came up with a story and it was around 2001 and maybe 2002. I, I can't remember now because it's been so long, but I couldn't get the story out of my head. I'm finally like, I have got to write this down and I don't know what I'm doing, but I envisioned it as a movie. So I wrote it in a draft and then started learning screenwriting, getting some books and finding out, you know, Hey, I'd hit the beats and it's the right length and all this. And so I just, I started with that. And I was afraid to tell people at first because they're going to laugh. You know, you're a 45 year old woman in North Carolina. You know, actually I wasn't even 45 at the time, but once I started telling people a story, they would listen and they, the whole thing. And I'm like, okay, I've got a gift. I know how to tell a story, mm. but I had to learn how to write it. And then I had right. two friends tell me at the same week after having a ma- movie script for months and they both read it and called me and said the exact same thing and said, I want to see this as a, you know, a, a book. And that's when I switched over and started doing it. So, so I'm curious, did that be, did that movie script eventually become your your karma your bad karma series series but or was it completely different had nothing to do with with the other and it'll never see the light of day uh, more the, the latter it will never see the light of day unless it gets a total <laughs> rewrite um but it, it was an army ranger i decided that the guy had to be an army ranger and the female she worked with the u.n high commissioner of refugees but her brother was a lieutenant colonel in the army and so i i just all the research for the military stuff and the Rangers really got me soft on the military. And I started adopting troops and I don't do things halfway. (laughs) So I was at the post office mailing out care packages every week. And I really connected with a lot of these people. You know, sometimes I usually, my, my letter would start off with, you know, Hey, I saw your request on books for soldiers. And so I'm sending you this book and FYI, a little about me, I'm, you know, 39 and 56 months old. I, and married, have two kids. I don't smoke. I don't drink or swear much. And I haven't worn a bikini in 10 years, but here's the book you requested. Or So they knew that I was old, married, funny, um, and that I was a writer. You know, I told them. And so hmm. you know, they would tell me things and I just connected because, you know, that was a you know instant beginning of instant messaging back in the early 2000s, 2005. And these guys became my source, but there was a TV show. Uh. CBS had on called The Unit. And the very first episode, you find out that um, Matt Gearhart's wife is sleeping with the colonel. And I was so mad. It's like, you don't do that to a man who's serving his country. So I came up with all these ideas of, you know, Matt kicking his skanky, cheating wife to the curb and getting a good woman. And I wrote some fan fiction. And so some of those stories, that became the first book I kind of planned. And one of my friends from a story... Uh, from a um, fan board for the unit, she asked, she told me about Suzanne Brockman and I read the troubleshooter series and she said, are you going to write a you know, series like this? And I'm like, no, no, I have all these other ideas. I was wrong. Okay. Mm. I started spinning ideas from some of the movie scripts and taking little bits and that be kind of became the bad karma series. And I based my Mac character strictly on that character from the, the show. Although I changed some things about him. And 
just kind of develop the other personalities of the guys and that's really kind of amazing. I mean, I'm sort of struck by a bunch of things at once, you know, first of all, um, that you just like went straight to the suspense thing and the military, like that was sort of like exactly where you went, even in like a spec script, right? Like you're with your writing and, and that sort of like turned into this whole, you know, romantic suspense genre for you, which I think is so cool. And also that you started in fan fiction, so many writers, uh, really cut their teeth there. And I think that um, the internet was a wonderful place to kind of, you know, nurture that and give and give writers a, an outlet and, and an ability to sort of weave these stories and then say, hey, you know what, um, this could stand alone and as something different and let me rewrite this. I think that's really Thank cool. You. Yeah, uh, it was the, those, you know, few reviews and people saying how they loved it and waiting for the next chapter that kept me going when I was, you know, doing this. And then, and I actually had a few people who wrote out like, hey, you know, I really like this character. You drive a story for that. And I'm kind of like, yeah, no, <laughs> because you're, it's not going to be what you envision in your head and you're not paying me. So. Right. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So w- were there always romantic em- elements in your suspense writing um, or, or did that or did you come to that later? Like, r- like, were you a romance reader? Yeah. Were you a fan of the genre? Yeah, um, okay. I, I think um, i always liked the romance that usually my stories revolved around, you know, what, whoever was my latest Hollywood crush. And I would cast myself as, you know, the new person on the show that would be the romantic interest. I always wanted some guy, you know, who, who, you know, I would be, he'd be obsessed with me or not obsessed in a bad way, but you know, I'd be the, you know, yeah, yeah I'd get to have my happily after. <laughs> and so the always was the romance there. So the first book that I wrote, it was, it had some suspense in it and that movie script, but it was more romance and the other scripts, they kind of all had a lot of that, but I, it's the romance more than the suspense. Okay. Okay. So I get, you know, I'm very curious about the weaving of the two, because you're looking at two very high octane uh, pieces of writing, you know, the romance and the suspense bit. And so weaving the two together, is that tricky? I, I, not the way my brain works. It might be for other people. Okay. Um, I usually have something that is the catalyst kind of starts the story and the characterization. And it's usually something that ends up getting cut and doesn't end up in there. <laughs> but and, and it's, it's, you know, each story is different. Um, the right. fourth book in my series, the third single title is In the Wrong Sights. And, you know, I, I, something came from that and the idea of her being in witness protection and you know, that story just came together very well. And I always knew it was going to be your romance um, that had to, and was able to figure out the suspense to go with that okay. and build it up. So. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, do you remember the first romance book you ever read? This is kind of a crazy question. I've been asked this before and I always freeze up, but um, there was a book that I read when I was in elementary school that was called Calico Captive. And it was a Newbery Award winning. It probably would not stand up to today's political correctness, whatever. But um, and there was no sex in it. But there was just there was a scene and that is still embedded in my brain where this girl, I think from like Massachusetts, was taken hostage, you know, she and other people um, during the French Indian War. And she was basically like a slave. She was given to this Indian family. And the son, who was a little bit older than her, there was like a romantic connection. And I can remember 
him like slipping out from under the blanket where he was sleeping on, you know, like a cot with his mother and sleeping on the floor next to her to keep her warm. And it just, it just struck me, you know, that it was romantic and sweet and thoughtful. And I I love that. And so, you know, that's the first one I remember. But after that, I went in, I don't remember, I, I read a lot of mysteries, all the Nancy Drew books and Mary Higgins Clark as I got older. And then I discovered authors like Jude Devereaux and some of her historical romances. And then Judith McNaught, who I loved her book, Paradise. I've read that, you know, two or three times. And some of the um, Lavera Spencer, Spencer books, I loved um, a lot of those. The Hummingbird was my favorite, I think. Or no, not Hummingbird, I'm sorry, Morning Glory. And um, The Fulfillment and Forgiving. And then I read um, a couple of Danielle Steele books too. Although Danielle Steele is one that kind of launched makes me a little different because I felt, and I I may be jumping ahead here. um, Sometimes I didn't feel like a very good wife or lover because we didn't have sex three times a night with simultaneous (laughs) orgasms (laughs) and, you know, it lasted an hour and stuff. And so I, you know, that kind of turned me off for a while. And then when I started writing, I wanted to write things that might help women in their sex, you know, be sexually empowered, but learn to communicate and so forth. So anyway, that's a long answer to your question. Yeah, no, it's very, it's very funny that you bring that up because, um, I was, uh, I was talking about this yesterday to a friend of mine. I have a podcast where we talk about Melrose Place and there was a scene uh, where the characters were had just woken up and they had had sex and they were talking about all the times, all the places they did it in the apartment the night before. And it was like five places. And I was like, that's a UTI waiting to happen <laughs> right there. That just doesn't happen. Right. You know, let's not, let's not, let's not pretend that that's like a real thing or necessarily a good thing unless you're like peeing a lot and you know, swallowing some cranberry juice. (laughs) Well, and I've had friends who've said, you know, something about, well, the, you know, they had an unrealistic view of life and romance because reading romance novels and I don't want that. Um, And one of the things I said I'd never do is write, you know, a book where two characters get drunk, have sex, and then it ends up with a happily ever after because usually that's not the case. They end up with, you know, sexually transmitted disease or pregnancy that they didn't plan. Um, They may end up with, you know, psychological issues and stuff. And yet my first um, movie script, that's kind of what happened. And so that's one reason it would need a total rewrite. And I, so I try now to have my characters have a relationship, you know, before. They right. Have right. Sex. Right. So, um, so when you're, you know, I'm assuming you still read a lot now and, and you're reading romance, do you gravitate towards romantic suspense books or, or do you just read anything but romantic suspense? I'm very curious. About I do that. kind of a mix. And, and unfortunately, I'll be honest with you. Um, and I hate to admit this, but I don't read near as much as I should um, for two reasons. One, I'm busy writing. And secondly, um, when you become a writer, it really changes the way you look at books. And it's hard to just enjoy a good book. So, you know, I sometimes get very, you know, negative, I guess, you know, if if a book's not there. And I, but I also have done Mm -hmm. over the years because so many authors have helped me with when I entered contests, giving me feedback for a lot of years here, I was judging contests and I was judging, you know, um, 
you know, five, six, seven contests a year. And so I was reading a lot for that. Now I've kind of stepped back and I'm not doing that. So it gives me a little more time. I'm actually in a book club now with a couple of my writer friends. And so we've are doing that. And I've never been in a book club before, which, you know, may seem kind of crazy being an author, but I just never was. I don't like being told what to read. And Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I read a lot of contemporary, um, and I do like romantic suspense. I have read a number of historicals just because I was a Golden Heart finalist so many times. And going to RWA conferences, I have a lot of author friends, and I, you know, want to read their books. So I'm kind of a little bit all over the place with what I've read. Okay, all right, that's that's great though. I, I'm very curious. Did going from like the writer side to judging. Do you feel like that changed your writing, strengthened your writing? I'm just very curious about that. Yeah, I do think it strengthens it because, you know, you might be told you're showing not, you need to tell. I mean, you need to show, not tell. Um, Right. And it's hard to see in your own writing, but a lot of times when you're reading somebody else's work, it's like right there in your face. And it's like, ah, Mm. this is what they're talking about. So it's easier to spot in somebody else's writing and then it helps you look kind of for it in your own. Yeah, like that's one of the things that I've always found really tricky. Like the okay, you know, show don't tell, and and I'm like, okay, I get it. And then I sit down with my work, and I'm like, maybe I don't get it. I don't understand what that means. Am I showing here? Am I telling? What am I doing? And you know, and <laughs> so that, sometimes that's the the writing, uh, you know, the the writing um, advice can be a little like jumbled in my head. Yeah, yeah. that's hard. It's showing that that's one of the harder things. But I, you know, I think. There are a couple books helped me. And, you know, once you kind of get the grasp and you get more confident, you start, you know, getting better. So. Right. Right. Um, so with your writing, your romantic suspense and writing, well, writing suspense, writing romance, when you get down to the steamy bits, your very first time writing it, did you struggle? Did you have a hard time? Or was it easy? No, I wouldn't say it was easy. I'd say you know, a little awkward. You know, you're thinking, you know, and you're, you're, it makes you vulnerable. I mean, you're putting some of your fantasies out there for people. And I'm hoping that, you know, nobody in my, um, you know, church friends and even my husband are here with this because, you know, it, it, I, I, one of the reasons I started writing romances, I feel like I kind of had a lust problem. You know, I'm, I'm lusting after these, you know, hot Hollywood hunks and th- having all these fantasies and things. And, you know, you're, you're putting it out there. It's, you know, like I, I figure I might as well make money from it if I can you know, do it. So, um, it, but right. <laughs> I, I, you know, the first one I wrote was in the movie script, as I mentioned, it was, you know, a couple who were at a party and had too much to drink and, you know, and led to sex and, and, planned pregnancy. But, um, and then I had some in the, fa- the uh, fan fiction story that I wrote. Um, and I'm not going to share the title with that because they're not really well written because I was in everybody's head and I was passive and I told instead of showed. So don't go look those up. Just read the books that I have out now. Um, <laughs> but you know, it, but it was, it was kind of fun. It was kind of titillating. Um, I tend to write what I call tastefully steamy scenes. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are certain words I don't mm-hmm. like to use. Although it's funny because I'm very good at getting in a male's head and point of view. I've had people laugh because I said, yeah, I feel like I got in a, a guy's erection, you know, because I'm so deep in the red. Um, and I, I try to, you know, put that in to make it. So that Go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, well, I was going to say that's really interesting. So you find writing the male point of view easier than the female? Yeah, I think I do. I know I'm probably weird that way, but. I wish that was me. 
I got some flack because I write, I only write a single point of view, not dual point of view. Um, and I guess that's the expectation in romance now, um, which I know it never used to be. It was always, wasn't it always single point of view? I feel like back ages ago. Um, but anyway, and I, and I, but it's, you know, part of the reason why I don't do it is because I really struggle for, with that male point of view. I'm trying, you know, so I can, you know, forcing myself to do it because I'll only get better at it if I do mm -hmm. it. Um, but it's hard. Well, and uh, you know, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm a little different. I mean, I, I definitely associate with being a female, but I can get the male point of view. I, one of the first movie scripts that I, well, not first, but it's one of the male movies, the male. Okay. Let's um, try that again. One of the uh, movie scripts I wrote, um, it was called Renegade 13, and it was about a female helicopter pilot. And I, to give you a background, I have adopted a bunch of helicopter pilots um, back in 2004 and would, you know, interact with these guys via instant messaging and stuff. And my family went to Hawaii. We met all these guys. And um, I took their personalities. I had to combine some of them to reduce the number of characters. But I wrote this script and had you know, four or five of the male guys in there. And I was in a screenwriting group and we did a live read of this. And one of the uh, people that was in there was a female JAG officer. And oh, she wow. came up to me afterwards and after doing the reading and she said, I got to tell you, I was really skeptical because A, you haven't served in the military and B, you're a female and you're writing all these guys' roles. And she said, mm. you nailed it. She said, each one of the guys sounded different. And, you know, I would swear you had been in the military. And I didn't realize wow. that, you know, all these conversations, you know, I knew these people, you know, I developed these characters mm -hmm. based on these people and, and they just, I'm, I'm able to do that. And that's with my bad karma team. You know, the guys are very different. They don't all sound like, you know, the mm -hmm. same alpha hero with different names. You know, Max, right, the guy, right. he's a single dad. He thinks about sex and his, and his relationship differently than Tony, who's who's a, um, you know, a ladies man, as I put it. You know, he's very more comfortable talking about his body and, you know, his physical sexual reactions and stuff than some of the other guys. So. Oh, cool. So uh, just to, um, for listeners uh, who might not know, when you say adopt the military uh, or adopt a unit, what does that mean? Um, well, I was part of a website that is still there, not real as active anymore called books for soldiers. And I would go in and they had posts there and I didn't want to just make a donation to the USO, even though I volunteer there now, um, or an organization to just send care packages. I wanted to have that interaction. So I would gotcha. write and I would send care packages with, um, books, DVDs, um, funny things like um, rubber snakes and that went to one of my special ops guys that I met working at the USO. And, and I became, I became known for my freaking awesome brownies um, that the first guy I adopted and he went back on a second tour and I sent those and he's like, those brownies you sent were freaking awesome. So they got that name and I would send them to units. I had trucks driven through Fallujah, Iraq with thanks, Tracy chalked on the side because I'd send them brownies and stuff. Oh, wow. So, you know, it, sometimes it would be just one care package, but usually if I heard back from them, I'd communicate. And that's how I, the guy that was kind of the lead person who, for the renegades, um, they were a unit of Kiowa warrior helicopter pilots out of Hawaii. And Chris was just really good about, writing and acknowledging, you know, every gift, you know, box they received. And 
we started messaging and then I started, you know, meeting other guys on his team. And so that was a lot of fun, you know, getting to know them. And I've been very fortunate to get to meet a lot of the troops that I supported wow. over time. So, so I'm guessing now because of this, you do have your, uh, like this built in sort of research network, I, I suppose you can go to with questions and you can say, is this accurate? Oh, yes. That has been the biggest blessing. That's why people think that, you know, I served in the military because I have people um, that I can go to. Um, I have a Black Hawk crew chief turned pilot who um, one of the, you know, something he told me, he he and I were very candid with a lot of things. And he, he was my go-to guy. I've called Jay numerous times, you know, would talk and then rewrite the book and cut scenes and have to rewrite. But the funny thing is, is he actually um, moved to Charlotte, North Carolina, which is where I live or near here um, a couple, like a year or so ago and got to see him again. I had actually gone to Alabama to see him graduate flight school, but oh um, wow, <laughs> yeah, but I have, and there's a green beret that we actually met through um, the fan board for the unit and Dale, he makes an appearance in my books um, he's a character and I will call him or email or Facebook message him and he gets right back to me. He'll give me paragraphs of information that I'll cut down to two or three sentences for the civilian to understand. But yeah, it's, it's been great having, you know, different guys, whether it's, you know, helicopter pilots, um, there's somebody who was stuffed with satellite surveillance and I'm asking him questions. He's like, uh, can we talk about this when I get back from my deployment? And I'm, you know, don't have to worry about <laughs> revealing classified information because oh they won't tell me mission stuff Al. right but, like i right. was asking the pilots one time about something and i get the funny story about a you know pigeon crashing through the chin bubble which is like the plexiglass floor part oh of God. the helicopter and sitting there you know on bill's boot you know bleeding and then having to toss it out you know or oh you know God. diving under the um, bunks because they're getting mortared and you know, all of a sudden they hear this crunching and the, you know it's because brad has crawled out and retrieve this chips and salsa because he doesn't want them to get, you know, get mortared and, you know, they're going to be under the bunk. You might as well eat. So that's the kind of stuff they tell me. And, but like the um, care package where I sent a a fake snake to um, another green beret that I met when I was working at the USO. And, and I get the funny story back from him that, you know, he, they had a unit captain who was leaving and a new captain coming in. So they decided to prank the old captain and he took this snake that looked pretty realistic and they put it um, in his boot. Well, he's seasoned veteran. He he looks and he knows immediately it's it's fake. And he takes it and right. throws it across the cabin, uh, the tent. And the new captain comes in and he sees this. He freaks out, <laughs> runs out of the tent, comes back in with a two by four and gets a few whacks in on the snake before he realizes it's fake. It's yeah. Like, so that's now he has got to live this down with his new team, you know. Um, of special ops guys who, you know, right. so Paul tells me the story. So, you know, the next care package, of course, re- included a realistic looking rat because it was right on after um, Halloween and it was on sale. So I sent that in. Oh, and, fantastic. Yeah. So I got the story of that too. But, you know, those kind of fun things or, you know, ask Dale one time, you know, what your most dangerous mission? And he's like, well, going on a field trip with, you know, my, with a bunch of kindergartners. So, yeah. So. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Oh my God, this is so cool. What a great way to sort of, you know, do research and you get to meet these really, you know, great guys who are out there, you know, serving yeah. their country, which is pretty extraordinary. Well, and I, I always, you know, I, I do take some artistic liberties, but I tend to paint, 
you know, most of the guys who are serving as, you know, heroes. Um, but, you know, you have a few bad apples. And, you know, one time I made a comment about that and they're like, oh, you'd be surprised how many there are. But, um, you know, yeah. again, they a lot yeah. of sacrifices, not only on their part, but, you know, their families, their wives, their kids yeah. and stuff. So I, I want to honor them yeah. in ways that I can. Yeah, absolutely. And I've followed a number of wounded veterans and I've got a series planned where I you know, want to feature them, um, call it the recalibrated warriors. Cause a lot of these guys, you know, have great attitudes despite injuries that they've sustained. And, you know, you just, you, you got to admire that, you know, they don't regret what they've done and serving their country. So. Uh, that sounds really excellent. Oh, I'm excited for that. So do you have plans for that one yet? Or is that just sort of brewing in the background? Um, I've got three books kind of outlined in my head. Um, on, we're actually looking, uh, and a friend and I are doing an anthology um, that gets some other authors involved and have raised money for charity to donate to a um, group like either the Travis Mills Foundation or Homes for the Troops or maybe the Gary oh, Sinise wonderful. Foundation. So to help. Oh, how yeah. excellent. That's really cool. Oh my God. Yeah, I'm excited about this that too. Great. So this is really great. Um, so I'm curious because that brings up a question that I had because, you know, you're, the series, do you, you're, you know, Bad Karma too. Do you have it planned out in terms of how many books it's going to be or do you just kind of wing it? Um, I, I've got like seven guys on the team. Well, eight guys on the team. Ray is married in the beginning. So I ended up going back and writing the novella that kicks off the series as a prequel novella, Desperate Choices. And that that takes place around 2004. So shortly after, you know, the war started up in Iraq. Um, and then I have the three single titles and I planned to go like seven books deep and do the other characters. And that's kind of on hold for right now um, for a couple of reasons. One is, you know, all my characters of the books, I'll be honest here, are, you know, Caucasian males. But I have guys on the mm -hmm. team that are not. And it's kind of a right. tricky situation right now, writing that when I'm not own voices. And I want to right. honor that and do it well. Um, so, I'm, you know, right. but I also have all these other ideas and my next book is a romantic comedy. It, it features a guy who's just gotten out of the army and his, he's kind of put his life on hold. You know, he was um, a child of a single mom and he's always worked and gone to school and, you know, just never had time for a love life. Now he's out of the army and he's ready and his sisters nominated him to be on a reality dating show. That's fantastic. Yeah. Well, okay. and he's decided, he's like, you know, just to get his sisters to leave him the hell alone. He's like, okay, fine. I'll interview. Well, he thinks his chances of getting on are like winning the lottery. He was on. He didn't make it to the end, but now they've offered him the role of the lead the next time. And he's like, you know, no, nah, I, I don't know about this. Well, and he's, they offer him enough money. They, you know, double the offer. They, they The show's had some struggles. And, which is kind of reality. <laughs> More than <laughs> when I watched this past season of The Bachelor, I was kind of like, they stole that from my show. Oh my gosh, they stole that from my show. Oh. Um, but th there was a lot of problems. So the, so the show's like, can we survive this? And you know, we really need a, a good season. We, we need this guy to be the, the Bachelor. People loved him, you know. And, you know, the biggest fan puts up this poll, you know, who do you want to be the next one? And he's winning hands down, even though the, his competitor who really wants to be as flashing pictures, posting pictures on social media, his abs and, but Nate's sisters put post pictures of him holding his niece on his lap and stuff. And he, you know, it's like, Oh yeah. So he, he ends up on there. And, um, but I just, I had this story all planned out and I, it just 
was keeping me up and everything. So I've written that and I came up with another story that will be another romantic comedy that'll tie into the series that's based on Garth oh, Brooks's cool. Friends in Low Places. And Big John returns from a deployment to find his girlfriend, you know, is back with her ex and she's packed all his stuff. It's in the garage. Go get your stuff and, you know, best wishes. And he's like, okay, I'll get my stuff, get my dog, be out of your hair. And she's like, oh, your dog. Yeah. Um, uh, boss died. Oh, no. And <laughs> lost his girl, lost his dog. <laughs> then he finds out that, you know, she lied about that. She just didn't want to take care of his damn dog and pick up the dog's poo. And so she gave away the dog. So his next mission is to find his dog. And he's going to end up big dog. Big John is 6'5". And big dog is like, you know. Rottweiler and Springer Spaniel mix and maybe part Uh, Great Dane. And um, so his name is Bruce, the boss, Spring Wilder, you know, Um, he finds the dog, but the woman who's adopted him um, offers him a place to live on her property. She has three houses that are tiny houses that she set up for women who have fled domestic abuse situations and need a place to get a restart. And this is based on kind of a friend who's been in a bad situation where, Okay. And so, you know, big guy, big dog living in a tiny house and, you know, so. This is fabulous. Your ideas are kind of blowing my mind right oh, now. thank you. I, I love them and I, I don't think they're great, but. <laughs> oh my God. How do you come up with these? Do they just kind of, I mean, you walk, I walk too, actually. That's where I get a lot of ideas as well. And they, do they just come to you or how do they form? Like, this is wild. I love your ideas. Well, thank you. Um, I, you know, they just. This is the way my brain works. Like I said, I, I sometimes I'll see a snippet, um, you know, yeah. a, an article or, you know, just get one little thing and, and it becomes an idea that I start developing. And sometimes I have to throw that idea away. I had, you know, mm-hmm. one book I was, I don't know, 40 pages into and I'm like, this is not going to work. And I said, walk away from it. But, you know, I it just the um, the friends in low places, the song, you know, we had a friend that she graduated and got her um, graduate degree and they had a party and they had. This guy um, who sometimes, if you follow my Instagram, you'll see me post um, movie clips of David playing. And that's one of the songs he sings. And, you know, I just, that whole idea of a soldier and, you know, and coming back instead of a showed up in boots, he shows up in combat boots. He shows up at this black tie affair thinking this is going to be one of those viral romantic, you know, clips that gets, you know, go viral on social media of me coming yeah. back from and, and just to woo my girl. And instead it's like, you know, uh, give me the phone because this is not what we want when she's there with the other guy. So it just <laughs> came up with that idea and oh you know, they just spin. That's, I don't know. I, I have really weird, crazy dreams too, but no, no, nothing that's become a book yet, but. This is awesome. This is, I, I love these ideas. I can't wait to like read all of these. Well, this is great. And I'm hoping to learn to write faster so I can do it. I, I, I now start have started dictating when we want to walk and that's something you may want to try it. I, I have an app that's not very great, but you know, I'll get my idea out. Um, and I'm looking yeah. at just recording the voice and getting the dragon professional software so it can kind of download. And cause my ideas, I, I can't, if I, I can talk an idea really well, but I sit right. down at the computer and I get distracted. 
It's funny. I actually have the opposite because I've often thought like, would you walk, you know, and I'd walk even more if I could like walk and write at the same time. And, but every time I sort of start moving and, and I try and sort of tell a story while I'm walking, my brain kind of flatlines and I can't get it out. Well, it is a whole different thing to speak your story. I think than to write mm-hmm. it, but um, yeah, I'm just really glad none of my neighbors, I mean, most of them, you know, a lot of them that kind of know me now and I've posted some things on the um, website, like, you know, Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm looking for a name of a dog for this book. If you want your dog's name to be in my book, you know, post it here. And so then I'd start talking to some of the neighbors, you know, oh, it's, it's, you know, what's your dog's name? Oh yeah. 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 And we talked, but um, yeah, I'm always afraid they might call the police thinking I'm crazy as I'm walking through if my mouth's <laughs> moving. And talk. But now, now everybody's got those earbuds in and they're talking on the phone anyway. So, you know, it's pretty yeah, normal. Yeah. That's actually a really fun idea and a great way to kind of like meet your neighbors because I'm on that next door app yeah. and um, as I call it your passive aggressive neighbors app. Um, and, and I think it would be actually kind of a great way to get to know the neighbors without that sort of sniping about, you know, the town council did this and I'm mad and oh no, I support that. You know, there's a lot of sniping that goes on there. Yeah. Well, and, and the, <laughs> so. oh, I saw this car and it's suspicious. Does anybody know what these people are doing? You know, and yeah, and, you know, I'm a, yeah. a suspense writer. So yeah, my brain goes all kinds of crazy places. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I, I, sometimes I take pictures of, you know, license plates as I'm walking through the neighborhood. Cause like, what are they doing? They want to be suspicious, you know? But, <laughs> yeah. I'm like neighborhood watch. So yeah. <laughs> So I'm kind of, I want to dig into your steamy scene um, that you sent me and it's from A Shot Worth Taking, which is, now what, is this book one? No, this is book three. It's the second single title and it was the first one to win the Golden Heart. Okay. I see. That's right. It was the first one to win the Golden Heart, but it is the third book. Okay. Got it. Um, And can you set this up for us? Can you set up the scene? Okay. I will. Um, Tony Vincenti is um, the hero in this and Angela Hoffman is the heroine. Tony is um, from an average American Italian family, if there is such a thing. And he is a guy who's got kind of a past wound um, that keeps him you know, he, he really wants love. He wants a, a you know family like he grew up in, but past when he's kind of shy that he kind of meets women in the wrong places like the bars. And he's mm. what I call a ladies man. He's not a player. He doesn't make promises, lead women on, but he takes care of his sexual needs and um, you know, he's gotten good at it. He's also Joe Manganello is my image for him. Early Joe Manganiello. Oh, perfect. Okay, so, I can see yeah. that. Yeah, er, I can early see one, it. you know, not not the wolfy um, look, but, but anyway. And Tony first worked with Angela. Um, but he She was undercover for the FBI and something, you know, ha- that she found out, she, they brought in the bad karma team and she and Tony worked together. She had no background on him. She she guesses he's military instead of FBI and that her room was bugged. And she knows that. She knows that. And so they can't communicate. And when you're undercover, it's kind of best to not know who the real person is, so to stay in character. So right. they, you know, even though it had been easier to fake being lovers to really, you know, do it, they kept it strictly professional. But you know, a couple years have passed and you're still in each other's minds. And Tony and mm-hmm. his team are after a terrorist who slipped through their fingers in Afghanistan. And they get word that the, you know, this guy might has slipped into the, you know, to Canada and they expect him to come into the States. And what is he planning? It's not going to be good. 
they have a lead that they think, you know, maybe he's meeting up with this guy who finances terrorists. So the guy made a reservation at a restaurant. They show up there to observe and hopefully pick up El Cherie. Only it's not El Cherie. The guy that they, you know, are hoping this Hakeem is having dinner with Angela and Tony recognizes her. And, you know, at first he doesn't recognize her because she looks very different because she was undercover in a motorcycle gang before. And here she is, you know, oh, looking wow. like this very, you know, put together, um, you know, you know, woman with the, you know, this rich guy, and so they end up having to work together. And you know, the next morning, after she's gotten the information from Kim's computer, they they have this, are able to have this little conversation where they she finds out he's not married. She's you know, kind of he never pressed the situation before, and right. they have this conversation. Um, but the materials, the the files that she got, something comes up that they think they're planning a dirty bomb attack. So even though they're like they they want the next you know mission together to be the under the covers kind, they've got to stop mm. a dirty bomb attack. Angela's nearly killed um, getting okay. the location. As a matter of fact, Tony thinks she's dead, and they proceed to stop the attack in time. He comes back and finds that she did survive and he's rushes to be with her. And then I'm going to leave out a little part here because I don't want to, you know, give away everything. No spoilers. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> he's brought her back to his house in Fort Bragg and is taking care of her. She recovers from her two gunshot wounds and, you know, he's had his, um, neighbor who's a doc on the, uh, medical green Bray team come check her out and Doc has made some reference, you know, about, you know, you know, she needs to rest, you know, no extracurricular activities. And he's basically, mm-hmm. basically calling him out as a man whore, which she kind of is um, kind of like McSteamy and Grey's Anatomy. And so he's like trying to be patient, trying to be good. But they both they're very sexual people and they want to they've been wanting this and everything. Right. I, I kind of do the slow burn, make them wait. And they. Yeah, I was. Again, I'm sorry. I just wanted to ask this. It, the, so this scene is towards, I'm guessing, towards the end of the book. It's about um, page 187, maybe. I don't know. It, it, it's it's well over. It's about halfway or more through the book before this happens. Yeah, they've been they've been wanting it. I mean, and there was, um, you know, alluding to what's going to happen when they have a chance. But yeah, it. You, I make them wait. So they're intention flying for like well over 50% and, and they have not consummated. This. No. And as a matter of fact, <laughs> I, I, I kind of love their first kiss scene in this book because they kissed before when they were undercover. Okay. And there's a, um, a story called undercover angel that if you subscribe to my newsletter that you can get for free and just check that out. And that's the okay. backstory, but their first, oh, cool. the first kiss that they have here. He comes into her office and she's got her head down and he's like, you know, you okay? And she's like, yeah, I'm just doing some mission prep. And he's like, okay, kind of look like you were praying. And she kind of bristles at that. She's like, you don't know my, you know, what I've done to survive. And she's like, maybe I was. She kind of gets her back up and he's like, he comes around, leans over and kisses her like on the temple. He says, well, good. And it wasn't the reaction she expected at all. It wasn't the first kiss she expected. She, you know. She's anticipating some hot up against a wall, you know, sexy kiss, but it was really, it did things to her that like nearly broke her. You know, it's like, oh my gosh, you know, this is, this could be more, she's thinking this can only be sex because of 
certain things in her past that, you know, there's no way right. she can ever be married, but this is the guy that makes her want that. And it was that kiss. And now, um, you know, here they are and they're finally, you know, trying to get to that stage. <laughs> this is awesome. I absolutely love the backstory that you've set up here. This is really cool. Um, okay. So I, I think I'm going to start. Okay. Um, but before I even start reading, I did want to talk to you about adding an injury into the sort of mix when you're writing particularly an intimate scene. You know, it's sort of one more layer, one more layer to the choreography that's already a bit complicated. And so, right. And so I'm wondering how did, how you managed to keep it from being a burden on the story and on the scene. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to devolve, diverge here. Just about give you a little bit of a a story. Um, I, I, when I bio mentions writing retreats and a couple years ago, um, four of my golden heart friends and uh, a friend of mine who has a cabin in the mountains, we did a writing retreat and it just kind of worked out that we were all the golden heart winners in our categories that were there. So all different genres and like Sarah oh, cool. wrote, Sarah Portman wrote this, you know, beautiful historical. Oh, I, I, I should explain. We, we decided to read sex scenes from the different genres. Oh, okay. And so okay. Sarah reads her beautiful historical thing. Now, Michelle, um, she writes erotica. And so we were expecting this really steamy. And it wasn't quite as steamy as we expected. So we were all okay with that. Mm-hmm. And, and then Alexis and Jeannie had her. There's, and then I read this. And they all kind of pointed out um, they, they couldn't do that. She couldn't raise her arm. <laughs> so I had to re-choreograph oh. this um, scene. But, um, yeah, it was really fun. And we've done that at a couple of retreats where we read out the um, the sex scene. Um, so, yeah, this is – Angela is definitely recovering from injuries where, like I said, she, she actually flatlined, like, twice. And um, they revived her. She's lost part of her um, kidney – not kidney, um, her liver. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, she she's limited mobility. And it – it, it does. It, it makes it very different because you can't do some of the things that you might normally do in a sex scene. Right. And, right. And so but she's, she wants to thank Tony for all he's done for her. And he, she wakes up from a nap and he is adjusting the shower he's put on it so that she can shower. Cause she's like, wants to get a real shower. If you've ever been in the hospital for two or three days, you know how it gets. And it's yeah. been more, more than that. And she wants a shower. And so he's done this. And then she's like, well, I want to shower right now. And he's like, uh, and she's like, I need your help. And he's like, uh, he's trying to be show. He's not just thinking about her about sex and, but it's, yeah. (laughs) But it's hard to do as we find out. (laughs) I'll I'll be sitting here blushing just a tiny bit, but. Okay. Okay. Um, (laughs) Oh, you've read this out loud yourself. Yeah, I have. Um, so this is a little bit ways in and she has, um, taken off whatever she's wearing and gotten in the shower and he is stepped in with her. I guess he's left his boxer briefs. No, he's taken them off. Oh yeah. Well, she, she looks at him and says, you know, I know you don't wear those in the shower. And he's like, yes. Okay. And he's like, okay, I'm taking them off. So I was like, oh, we know where this is going. Um, so anyway, okay, here we go. Her hair shone as the water matted matted it against her bare flesh. He poured shampoo into his hand, then worked it into her long, thick, silky hair. She tilted her head back. You have no idea how good that feels. Rather than say anything stupid, he kept his mouth shut. He took his time, the intimacy building while he massaged her scalp, foaming a rich lather. With him blocking the direct spray of water, her dark nipples puckered into peaks, making his body harden with need. Fantasies played through his mind as he freed the handheld shower head, then rinsed the suds from her hair. 
She leaned back to fur- leaned back further to keep the water from running down her face. He was damn near coming just from touching her hair and watching the water run in rivulets over her ample breasts. When he rinsed her hair, he replayed Doc's warning in his head. He'd gone months without sex during deployments. He could do this. He could do this. He could do this. I thought this was such a great moment. I'd completely kind of forgotten how intimate and erotic someone washing your hair could be um, and how that feels. And I think that you captured it in actually not a lot of words. Thank you. To be honest with you, like, I think that there was an economy of words here that was really, really great. And and I'd love to talk about that. Like, I'm curious, like, did, was this sort of like the result of, okay, I've written too much and I want to edit, 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 or were you just, are you just able to, to do that? I think I was just able to do it. That's so cool. <laughs> yeah. And you're saying economy <laughs> words. I'm, I repeated that, but I, I wanted that effect. You know, he's, he is struggling with, you know, I've, I, I, I want to show her I'm more than this. So. Yeah. 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 And it was, and, but it was still the, the, the sexiness, right. Was definitely there and they're not even do like, like he's touching her, but it's definitely not an erotic way. Not he's yet. witnessing her body, but it's definitely, and well, okay, that's the erotic <laughs> way, but <they're, laughs> in a very erotic way, but beside the fact, like he is caretaking here and, and this isn't like, you know, him feeling her up or anything like that, but there was still, um, a level of tension that I thought was really extraordinary. Thank you. Um, and then I loved that those last, the last um, bit that I read about, he could do this, he could do this. And the humor that slid in there through in this moment was actually really fantastic. And so I wanted to also like talk a little bit about mixing that levi- levity in with the steamy. Do you do that often? Yeah. Um, okay. I, I, you know, in good ways and bad ways. I mean, I guess, you know, it's, you know, sex is serious, but you know, it's, it's going to be fun. And when yeah. I, in um, my first book, Deadly Aim, the first time the hero and heroine have done the deed, it was kind of, they've been building up to this. Um, it's a, it's a forbidden um, relationship because she's an officer and he's not. And um, okay, they, she's finally like, you know what? I, I, I you know, I need more out of the life maybe than just flying. And they've, they've done it and it was really good. And, um, but they're, they're kind of talking afterwards and all of a sudden she's, you know, you know tickling his chest and says, they're talking and she smells and she's like, what? I think I smell. And he's like, you know, thinking she's talking about him stinking or something. And it's like, no smoke. And he, they were supposed to be having dinner. And then it's kind of like, yeah, no, well, we, you need to do this first because last time we got interrupted and, um, so yeah, he goes dashing out of the room naked, you know, to, to oh. because before the fire alarm goes off and stuff. So yeah. Uh, <laughs> so I, I mean, how do, I guess I'm sort of curious too. How do you how do you know the right balance? Is it just an intuitive thing for you? Yeah, I just I, I, with what the characters tell me and who they are, and you know, it's it's different each time. I mean, you know, some situations it's not really humorous. You know, Tony and Angela at one point she gets she's pissed about he gets pissed at her about something and she's you know kind of backs him up against the wall and she's like you know he you know trying to placate him with you know sex or something he's like i'm not in the mood and she's like yeah well i'm not getting any sleep either so you know you might as well do this <laughs> and he's like <laughs> and he's like closes his eyes thinking and she whips off her shirt and here you know, he says her shirt did a houdini you know and it's like 
you know, and she's like, you know, try, you know, I'll, he's like, I'll go shoot things. And, no, you know, and, you know, then this won't hurt. Well, maybe a little in a good way. And, you know, so but <laughs> it's just excellent. me. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So now we're going to move down a bit and the water has now been, um, been turned off she has just basically given him a hand job and he has gotten off and so now we know they're going for this they are totally going for this um so i'm gonna start okay. again he ran a hand up her arm and over her bare shoulder to the back of her damp neck cradling her head his mouth met hers he started with brief gentle kisses moving his body closer to hers the intensity of the kisses increased their tongues stroked and danced seductively she smelled fresh and her skin heated as their bodies brushed against each other and and limbs intertwined i i kind of wanted to just take a minute here to like talk about how you really focused on the kissing and i was like oh we really don't do that enough. I think in, as you know, romance writers, I don't think that it's done enough. Um, just the act of kissing necessarily as the focus, it kind of all becomes like hands and legs and arms and everything intertwined rather than like, sort of like slowing down, taking a breath and really exploring just the act of kissing. Well, and part of that too is, you know, her injuries, he's, you know, kind of building up and testing a little bit, um, you know, and he, he wants to kiss her, you know, he, he's, he wants to consume this woman, you know, that he's, you know, already thinking, you know, she understands who I am and what I do and what I can't say because of her background. And, you know, he, he's wanting to, you know, this to be more than just sex. So it's the whole relationship and that's part of it's the kissing. So. Uh, now so I would like another character in a different book. Maybe, maybe there's not such a focus on the kissing moment. Yeah, I guess I, cause I kind of like kissing. It's funny. I'm, I'm a hugger. Okay. <laughs> that the only people okay. I really kiss are like the family, you know, and my husband. Um, but I don't know. I just think there's something, you know, very arousing about a good kiss. And yeah. if, uh, you know, I'm a princess bride fan and yours, their line in the end of the book about, you know, and all the history of kissing, you know, this was the, the, the kiss or whatever. And, and I referenced that into my romantic comedy um, that's coming up, but yeah, I guess I, I, I want it to be, you know, not just going for the big O, but you know, that foreplay of kissing and touching. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I thought that was really, I was like, wow. And it really made me sort of stop and go, okay, like now you need to really pay a little bit more attention to that because there is something really beautiful about starting the the intimate moment with the kissing. Um, although they did not start the intimate moment with that when, when we sort of like go back, yeah. um, because he does get him off in the shower and, um, there really isn't any kissing going on there. Um, but, but then they sort of come back to it and pull into a different direction. I thought it was really beautiful. Well, thank you. Cause I, I love all my bad karma guys, but there's something about Tony that just, oh yeah. And he, he plays a big oh, role man. in the next book and I, I can see him kind of, you know, having another story later, but yeah. Okay. All right. Okay. I'm going to keep oh, okay. going. This is a bit of a long one. So settle <laughs> in. <laughs> yeah, but, oh, we're getting off easy here. You know, just the first. <laughs> there had been times when he'd been with a woman and would close his eyes to pretend she was Angela. Now he kept his eyes open. No more imagining. 
When she turned her face to the side, it gave him more access to her neck. He pressed kisses to the spot where her pulse throbbed below her ear, enjoying her soft murmurs as he worked his way to her tender throat. Sliding his body lower, he ran his tongue over her breast and drew her into his mouth to twirl his tongue over the peak. She arched back her shoulders and he switched to her other breast, wanting to indulge every inch of her body. Propped on an elbow, he played his fingertips over her other nipple. Her fingernails raked lightly over his back, then up to his scalp, sending delicious shudders through his body from head to toe. She wrapped her calves around his legs so that her intimate heat pulsed with desire, furthering, further arousing him. He went lower, trailing kisses over the unbandaged side of her stomach, then lower, nibbling at her inner thigh. He inhaled her feminine scent, her, bo her body writhed, and her hands clenched fistfuls of the sheet, which heightened his determination to give to her the way she had unselfishly given to him. His tongue trailed up her thigh to circle her smooth outer lips before delving inside to taste. He slid his hands under her firm, rounded ass, lifting her higher so he could go deeper. The end of his nose rubbed against her, applying pressure and increasing the urgency of her sultry moans. Don't stop, don't, she panted, inspiring him to deliver an even higher satisfaction-guaranteed level of service. His tongue hit her sweet spot. She gasped when he teased the hardened nub. Her leg muscles went rigid. She lifted her hips higher when the first wave of orgasm gripped her and didn't stop. Whew. Whew. <laughs> Hi. Okay. <laughs> Breaking this down. Um, I guess I'll start at the end here. Um, what I really loved about this was that you were actually, I felt like you were taking the reader on the same arousal journey that he was taking her, um, which I thought was really, really cool. And it was like, you know, I don't want to say step by step, but in a way it was kind of step by step. And I really appreciated that as a reader because it was sort of guiding me through it the way he was guiding her orgasm. Okay. Was that a conscious thing? Like, like, that you're like, well, and, and one of my friends who had read one of my scenes at one time, she said, you know, you're too much like you're dictating what they're doing. You need to put more internal thought and stuff in there. So, you know, that was kind of my attempt of, you know, he's, you know, letting you know what's going through his mind. This is where I, I talked about, you know, getting in a guy's right. point of view. And I, I think I, I feel like I did it pretty well here. Um, oh yeah. You know, and what he's oh, yeah. thinking and that, you know, not just thinking about himself. He's really in this situation focusing on her and, and that maybe slows him down a little bit because he's like, he's already had his turn in the shower and he's like, I'm right. making sure you get your turn here and then we'll do it together. Well, so. Yeah. Like it was, you know, I think that's funny because that you mentioned that, you know, your friend had said, you know, that, that you need to incorporate more of the, the feelings. Um, because I do think that that's something that I definitely struggle with because it's like, you get so focused on the choreography. Like you were saying, when you read the scene and they were like, that couldn't happen, she's injured. You know, you, you sort of are trying so hard to write it so you don't have like a character with six arms, yeah. you know, and three feet. And, you know, you know what I mean? That, that you can get a little bit like, oh wait, but there are feelings here and the feelings are really what's going to be driving the scene. Um, it's, a tr it's a tricky balance. It's a very tricky balance to find, but I think that you captured it really, really well. Thank you. Because, you know, I, I'm, I'm one who I like to have the emotion. I don't want it to just be, you know, the sex in different places and unusual pl and unusual places and how many times. And, you know, I want it to be the connection, the emotion there that yeah. it's, you know, 
not just the big O. I mean, we want the big right. O too, but you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's funny that you mentioned that because I had actually highlighted the first like two lines, right? Or, or you know, three lines, sorry. There'd been times when he'd been with a mo- woman and would close his eyes to pretend she was Angela. Now he kept his eyes open, no more imagining. And I really felt like that those three lines spoke to the intensity of his feelings for her in just three sentences like that, again, like that, the, the economy of words that you have here to invoke these feelings, um, I thought was really extraordinary, particularly hearing the backstory now. And this was something that I flagged even before really knowing the full backstory of this um, and the intensity of their feelings towards each other that they had never been able to act upon. And so, and so again, like just those three moments, I was, it was just like, you could feel his relief in three sentences, you know, and that's sort of like, yes, I'm going to finally do this thing I've been dying to do. Yeah. And one part that we didn't get to, it comes after this. I'm just going to go ahead and share is like, you know, afterwards, you know, it kind of hits him, you know, he's had sex lots and lots of times, lots and lots of women, but he's never made love to a woman Mm. until this with Mm. Angela. I think the other thing, and this is again something I need to flag up in my own writing sometimes, or I feel like I do. Maybe it's fine. It's so funny. You don't like. We all see all our flaws in our scenes, and and, and you know, but but the fact that like we weren't. Te- it didn't take ten pages to get to their orgasms. Yeah, because sometimes those uh, the sex scenes can go on way too long. This this is actually yeah. probably my longest sex scene. Um, Oh, yeah. really? Oh, Maybe. wow. I appreciated that. I mean, I don't know. I guess I guess it depends on the reader. But I appreciated not having the, the sex scene that went on and on where you, finally you're just like, okay, they're doing it. And you just kind of flip past yeah. it. Yeah. And I, admit, I, I, I do that sometimes, you know. And so. Yeah. Yeah. But I just thought I was like, this is actually really great because, you know, they're having the intimate moments the way that we have the intimate moments, which is, I'm sorry. Like, you know, I think that I have a great relationship and we have a great time, you know, in, in our intimate life and it's perfect, but it does not go on for hours. Yeah. I'm too tired for that shit. Well, <laughs> yeah. Well, one of the th- questions you asked later talks about, you know, your, you know, intimate sex scenes, you know, which ones do you remember? And, you know, Suzanne Brockman had a great um, one in, and I can't remember which book exactly it was, but the hero from the first book and his Tom and Kelly, and this is a later book and they're together and they're married, but they're cutting up fruit and something. And it becomes, you know, this fruit fest sex thing. And they're doing a quickie in the kitchen. And I was like, yes, okay. a quickie. That's okay. You know, cause you know, these things that go on forever. It's like, yeah, that's not real life, you know? And so I, I really liked that scene because, you know, it's, you know, they got, they did something fun and they got the big O and, you know, but it, it was a quickie and it, and it, it was sending that message that it's okay to have a quickie because sometimes, you know, especially in life, if you got young kids or whatever, yeah. you know, that's, that's all you got time for. Yeah. Cause sometimes life gets in the way. Cause I think, you know, romance, as much as it is a skate and escape for our readers, um, you know, I also think that it serves to also, you know, be a reflection. And, and I think that it was sort of like really cool what you were saying before about Danielle Steele and kind of making you feel like you were doing it wrong. Right. Like there are, there are so many different ways to do it. And, um, and I think that it's awesome when we can, you know, share stories of all those different ways and, and so that a reader can look at it and say, 
oh, I'm, I'm fine. Yeah. Like, oh, okay. This is the, okay. I'm so few. All right. They do that too. Or even, oh, well, that sounds like fun. Maybe I'll try that next week. You know, like I just think whether it serves as a reflection or some inspiration, I think that that's a really cool thing. Well, and I didn't put this in my notes before, but since you brought it up, I actually have a story. In, um, it, it's when I was a situation where I was kind of frustrated, I'd gotten with my ex agent who'd finally, you know, told me that, oh, yeah, oh, you got passes on your book, you know, like, you know, and she hadn't told me about it. And, you know, to get three passes or, or something in one day, it was kind of, kind of rough. And um, I'm like, mm-hmm. what, what, what is selling? What, what can we do that's different? They hadn't been done before. And I came up with an idea for um, an erotic inspirational book, um, which, you know, those are two totally opposites. And it, it kind of growing up in the church, you know, a lot, I mean, I didn't grow up in the church, I guess I should say, I, I became a Christian at 18 and, but I was still a virgin at that point, you know, God had kind of kept me pure, I guess. And, you know, so there's a lot of things, a lot of things in the church. And one of our pastors, we were doing a sermon series throughout the Bible and, you know, Song of Songs is, is it's an erotic novel in the Bible. And, you know, the church kind of does a disservice, you know, they go through, and it's like, don't have sex, don't have sex, don't have sex. And it's, oh, you're married. Okay, fine. Go ahead and have sex. And a lot of women have this stigma, you know, about sex that it's yeah. hard to overcome. And so I came up with a story about a Mennonite woman who um, was widowed early and has, you know, never had a satisfying sex life. You know, it was always just kind of, you kind of did it and doom, you know, it was over. And she ends up going to take care of her brother's wife um, who he's left the Mennonite community kind of, and they're one of the real strict ones. And, um, and she overhears them having sex and she's like, that was never like what I experienced. And and she thinks she's going to go back to her community and, you know, be in another joyless sex, you know, unsatisfying sex um, relationships. So she decides to experiment and find a guy that, you know, to have sex with that, you know, to to kind of learn. And that story's kind of been put on hold, but, you know, the whole message was, is kind of empowering women that, you know, it's okay for you to have satisfaction in sex too. It's not just all about the guy. The woman should have satisfying sexual experiences as well. And absolutely talking about, you know, some of that. So that, that's a story that, you know, who knows one day I may write that up, you know, it's, there are inspirational aspects to it because it's her journey, you know, um, that I kind of tends to be romantic with having a, you know, happy ending too. But, you know, and I figure that, you know, that might send the message to women that it's okay. It, It can be very uncomfortable to talk about sex sometimes with your, your spouse and, you know, especially if you've been married a long time and you haven't, and all of a sudden it's like, you know, Hey, can can we bring some (laughs) toys into this or whatever? And so just, you know, just send that message that, you know, and maybe help, help somebody have a better relationship and more satisfaction. And you're totally welcome to tell me, you know, to just shut up, but I'm like really kind of curious in terms of your writing, you know, steamy bits, but also being involved in, in the church. Is there, is there a weird, is there, is that like kind of like a weird place for you or is, are, are you open about this with your, with your fellow, I'm very open about it. Um, as a matter of fact, okay. my, I did a book launch party for my first book and most of the people that came were people I knew from church in my Sunday school class, um, we, and I've had, you know, a few people who were like, oh, well, we need to talk about 
that scene. And I'm like, and I was actually at a baby shower for one of the women, her (laughs) single daughter who'd gotten pregnant and we came together to help her out. And one of the women made that comment about, you know, that scene. And, and another one, Linda, she goes, what was she talking about? I said, the sex scene. And she goes, Oh, I got to go home and read. (laughs) And (laughs) when I I first started writing, we had gotten, we got a new pastor shortly um, into that. And I ran into his wife at the grocery store. I'd already met them once. I just, you know, Christy, I I write, um, you know, romantic suspense novels. um, And I don't write for the pastor's wives and the missionaries. I said, Mm -hmm. but I write for the women who, you know, come to church most Sundays, maybe send their kids to Christian school. But, you know, it's, we have sex and, you know, when you act like it's something that's dirty or hidden, you know, then that, you know, goes back to what I just talked about, that story, but, you know, the stigma and, you know, it's not when God gave it to us as something that he wants us to have pleasure and it to be enjoyable. And so, you know, Christians sometimes do a disservice. And um, one of the pastors talked about that and I, I just, you know. You know, I'm, I have had some people who make some comments and it's like, yeah, that's okay. You know, you don't want to read my books. Okay. They might like the romantic comedy better because better it's going to be clean. They'll be kissing, but there's no on the page sex. It, it's referred to. You're closing the yeah, door. Yeah, I'm closing the door. Okay. Um, and I, I originally okay. thought about doing it and then decided not to because it, it, it wasn't essential to the story. Um, but, okay. you know, it's, I, I'm, I'm very open about it. And, you know, mm-hmm. I'm sure there'll be some people who will probably talk behind my back. I, I don't. But it's like, you know, I know you did it. You got kids. So, (laughs) you know, it's funny because I, I've, you know, I was raised Catholic and that's a very sort of like, you know, fire and brimstone when, you know, when it comes to sex, um, which, you know, very much put me um, off of the religion. And I think, you know, kind of like, you know, Scrooge up a bit too, you know, particularly with the, you know, the parents sort of talking about it or not talking about it as the case may be. Um, But, you know, so I kind of find it fascinating when you are, you know, part of a a church and you're able to be open about this and and find acceptance and, you know, they're they're not, you know, being judgmental or whatever, because that is kind of the opposite of, I think, what we assume, I should say not, you know, what we assume about, you know, about organized Religion. Yeah, and it, that's one thing I love about Tony. He's he's a lapsed Catholic. You know, he grew up, you know, always at church um, and that. And he, because of the past wound with the girlfriend, you know, he's left the church. But like when the timer is counting down on the dirty bond they find, he's like, it's a good thing I don't have to go find a priest to confess to because I got a whole lot to confess. And, um, you know, <laughs> that's so, great. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I, I, and the thing is, is I had, I've had people say, well, why don't you write inspirational? And part of it is, is the market, you know, is, is limited because as a Christian, you know, I re- have more in the past read a lot of Christian fiction. Um, but, you know, you tell other people about the books and if they're not Christians, they're not going to read it. So my, it broadens the market. But I feel like I have a better reach to show that, you know, hey, you know, some people have this preconceived notions that, you know, Christians aren't fun, that they're all uptight, you know, what. And it's like, that's not always the case. You know, you, I, I can have a reach and show that, you know, hey, we're just normal people. You know, we screw up. We make mistakes. We have to live with the consequences. But, yeah. you know, the, grace, you know, that's what it's all about. And I wish there was yeah. some, that was a lot more the culture now, you know, just show grace. We're not perfect. We're all going to make mistakes. Yeah. But rather than go looking for those, why don't you look at it as an opportunity to show grace and kindness to you know, your fellow humans and, you know, yeah. so. Yeah. And also ourselves. Yeah. yeah so. Um, thank you so much. This was awesome. Well, thank you having you. I appreciate this. Um, so when is when can we expect uh, the romantic comedy? That's a good question. I I finished the draft, okay. but I'm I've got it out to some beta readers right now. Um, and, and there's um, 
going back to um, doing some sensitivity reads, I have the heroine has a special needs sibling, and I've sent that out, seen out to some friends um, ah, that their okay. kids actually make a appearance in the book, and they've all been received it very, very well. Um, so it's a comedy, cool. but there's some you know po- really poignant moments in there, and and I'm waiting to see because I'm debating sending this out to, to query to agents, and and if ah. that got, if it, we go that route, that that delays things. And right, I, I don't right. know if I want to do that. I've got a lot of friends that are traditionally published that, you know, all I hear is complaining about, you know, deadlines and covers and lack of publicity. And I'm like, do I want to go that route? I mean, yeah, there, there could be more money, but I might be leaving money on the table. If, I, I think this book is going to be great. And um, so I'm, I'm just kind of debating. I, I may query a, two or three agents or, you know, a handful on, and see if there's a market, but if I don't get a, you know, a really sweet traditional print deal, then, you know, uh, you know, do it yeah, yourself. Yeah. I have really, you know, have figured this out and, um, that's, so that all kind of depends. I will get the feedback, hopefully make a decision as to whether to query in the next month or so. And if I, if I decide to self publish it, you know, if, well, even if I query, I'm going to say, you know, you can put this out, but I'm not waiting six months or a year to get feedback and, you know, get passes. Right. I, it's, you know, either they're going to jump on it or I'm going to move ahead with self-publishing it. So that may, you know, if any edit agents are listening to this, <laughs> just screwed <laughs> my chances there. Um, but anyway, I, you know, I just don't know. I do, you know, if, if I, I want to get a good bit of the second book, Big John's book written, and I've, I've kind of started that and I'm going to try and do a lot of writing kind of a mini nano in April and get at least 25,000 words done in it so that we can move on so i don't know when the romantic comedy will be out there is my final answer okay (laughs) well where can readers find you on the internet where are you most active? i am most active on facebook um i'm tracy brody books at instagram and twitter and i i'm i mostly post pictures of flowers on Instagram because we love that. Um, That's what we need. Yeah. We need more yeah, of I, that. I, I take my camera you know, with me when I go walk as I, you know, count my steps with that. And and I just, yeah. I love flowers. And so I'll take that and I'll, I'll promote books and things like that. But I'm on Twitter. I hate Twitter, Twitter, you know, I hate yeah. Twitter too. So I don't, I don't post most of it out anymore. Just, you know, yeah. some other stuff. And then my, I have my webpage, yeah. but, but Tracy Brody, um, on Facebook, I have the page and the profile, but you know, mostly my, you know, just profile. I'm I'm very active there because I'm constantly playing games and stuff. So and I'm and I'm awesome. I'm not um, an introvert. So I'm, you know, if if you read my stuff and you email me or post a message, I will respond to you. That'll be me. And um, you know, very I like connecting with readers and you know, getting those little pats on the back that oh, I love this, I love that. You know, so. <laughs> It, that does yeah. feel good. It does feel good. And we need yeah. those. The, the care and feeding of authors is actually very important. Yeah, because so. we don't get paid a whole lot usually, you know, so. No, and we and we really don't hear a lot of love. Yeah. So. Well, my reviews have so, been very um, good and they've been very kind. None of them made me cry yet. And, you know, it's um, I've got thick skin after doing this for years, but. So, um, and I'll have all the links to all the, the various places in the Thank show notes. You. So. Tracy, thank you so much for being here. Well, thank here. you for doing it. And I hope that listeners enjoyed this and check out my Bad Karma books and follow me. Like, um, And if they do subscribe to my newsletter, and like I said, they can get the Undercover Angel, which is Tony and Angela's backstory for free and see that, yeah, I can write, you know. So it's kind of fun. <laughs> and, and, and there's no sex in that one, but, you know, there's a lot of sexual oh, right. tension, so. Well, that's actually sometimes the best yeah. part. So <laughs> Tracy, thank you so Thanks, much. Thanks, Elle, and y'all have a great day. 
I hope you enjoyed the episode. Sign up to get email alerts when a new one goes live at lgreco.rocks. And don't forget to five-star us on Apple or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thanks for listening. See you next time.